A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A major medical milestone reached here in the past couple of hours, we can tell you about. President Putin has revealed that Russia has registered the world's first coronavirus vaccine. There's nothing covert about Russia's attempts to promote its vaccine, Sputnik V. State media and political speeches have swapped science for nationalistic fervour. President Vladimir Putin has made no secret of Russia's ambition to be the first to win the global vaccine race. As far as I know, this morning, for the first time in the world, a vaccine against the novel coronavirus infection was registered. Russian state media has been gushing daily about a roll call of government ministers and senior officials receiving the vaccine. Even President Putin's family have joined in. I know this very well because one of my daughters has been vaccinated with such a vaccine. One might say she took part in the experiment. And every day, frenzied headlines quote the president's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, saying Vladimir Putin himself is on the verge of being injected. But the very visible propaganda and nationalistic showboating around the Russian vaccine is just the tip of the iceberg. At the time that the world is coming together to try and tackle COVID-19, particularly come up with a global solution for a vaccine, I think it's outrageous and reprehensible that the Russian government is engaged in this activity. The authorities in Britain have been worried about Russian black ops against the vaccine for months. Now, Stories of Our Times has uncovered evidence that Russia is engaged in a global campaign of lies and disinformation designed to discredit the Oxford vaccine. The images that the Times has identified are designed to drive fear. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, an investigation. Inside Russia's disinformation war, part one. It was supposed to be a covert operation. There was even a cover story in place in case questions were asked. A chain of people across the world would secretly plant propaganda on social media to discredit the Oxford vaccine. I've spoken to one of those people, someone who was involved with a project to disseminate lies on behalf of Russia. 
They were so alarmed by what the campaign would do in middle of a global pandemic that they showed me the material. We now have evidence that provides a rare view of the inner workings of a Russian disinformation campaign, one which is currently being peddled around the world. It targets influencers on social media, offering them money to spread images and videos online, all with the same theme. If you take the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, it turns you into a monkey. Some of the images are funny, instantly shareable. Others are more alarming. They're all designed to destroy confidence in the vaccine and fuel a culture of fear and suspicion. The evidence we've seen shows that this is a campaign involving state officials in Russia. It targets more than a dozen countries all over the world, and it's designed to discredit the competition. Russia wants to secure a global market for their own vaccine. Part 1. Russia and the vaccine. It's not just about wanting to capture markets as far as the Russians are concerned. Here you have this pariah nation, almost one that has been sort of disparaged as a source of destabilisation and subversion. And now suddenly they might be amongst the first to actually have a vaccine for coronavirus. Mark Galliotti is a Russia expert and a senior associate fellow at the think tank Rusi. He explains why the vaccine has become so totemic for the Russian government. It's no coincidence that they called the vaccine Sputnik 5. Sputnik 1, the Soviet space satellite. They want this to be a Sputnik moment. Until two days ago, that sound had never been heard on this earth. It's a report from man's farthest frontier, the radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik. Just as with the satellites, when the Soviet Union sort of seemed to demonstrate its technological prowess, so too with this. Although it's been estimated that a successful vaccine could bring in billions of pounds and boost the Russian economy, there's clearly more than financial gains at stake for Russia in wanting to win the race for a vaccine. This is part of Putin's campaign to basically make Russia look like a great power. But they also obviously need to claw down their competitors to make it look all the more impressive. That seems to be a common view amongst Russia experts. There's a commercial and a diplomatic interest in making Russia look good, which means making everybody else look bad. That's Edward Lucas, who is, rather helpfully, both a... Times columnist. And he works at a... Think tank specialising in Russian and Chinese influence operation. Which includes disinformation. Edward says the vaccine isn't just like a new space race for Russia. It's also a chance to undermine the West. They're also aware that levels of trust in Western societies towards public authorities during the pandemic have been badly frayed and dented. So casting doubt on anything to do with public health, and particularly the vaccine, helps weaken cohesion and trust and makes Western societies more vulnerable, which is also in Russia's interest. But it's a particularly dangerous moment to play with trust in public health. Part two... The countries targeted. Que ao longo dessa pandemia perderam seus entes queridos. 
Brazil is the worst affected country in Latin America, with over 2.5 million confirmed cases. It's now past the grim milestone of 90,000 recorded deaths. On Monday, India crossed an unenviable milestone. The country surpassed Brazil's COVID-19 caseload and is now second only to the US in known COVID-19 cases. The evidence we've seen shows the campaign is targeting a dozen countries, including India, Brazil, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, the Philippines, Indonesia, Mexico, Malaysia, Vietnam, and Peru. Among this list are countries that have suffered some of the highest rates of COVID infection and death, and they're desperate for a working vaccine. The social media clips will be used in Russia too, but only after they've already been released in other countries. Then they'll be used as part of a mass media campaign run by Russian state TV, which will use the images that they themselves have planted around the world as evidence of other countries having fears about the Oxford vaccine. We have signed several agreements with India. We expect to produce around 300 million doses of vaccine a year in India alone. India, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, the UAE and the Philippines have already agreed to test the Russian vaccine among their populations. Deals have been signed to produce and distribute 100 million Sputnik V vaccines in India and 50 million in one state of Brazil alone. And in the last few days, whilst we've known that it's on the list of target countries, Egypt has now also signed a deal with Russia for its vaccine. The disinformation will spread far beyond that initial list, as Edward Lucas explains. They are countries where the information systems are quite weak and rumours spread rapidly. And one instantly recalls that back in the 80s, when the KGB was trying to spread the quite false idea that the CIA had invented the HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, they started off by doing that in a communist-controlled newspaper in India. And then it spread from India as a big English-speaking country around the world and ended up being something that was widely believed in the United States. So this is probably the place to start. You might not get so far on this if you're trying to spread it in someone like Germany or or the UK, where the public's a bit more sceptical. But once it's taken root in these countries and elsewhere in the world, it then becomes much more a thing and the Russian fingerprints disappear. But this is no ordinary disinformation campaign. By destroying confidence in a COVID vaccine, they could be gambling with lives. As one former intelligence officer told me, it's ruthless and determined. People may be surprised by this, but if you've worked on Russian disinformation, you know it's just the way they work. Part 3. The Disinformation War. So we know why it matters to Russia, but what do we know about the actual campaign? It seems to have been sparked by a moment of doubt. Let me take you back to early September. AstraZeneca pausing its global trials of a coronavirus vaccine. A participant in the UK suffering an adverse reaction, causing that stoppage. The pharmaceutical manufacturer is calling this pause in the trial routine, uh, but it is unclear how long it will last. About a month ago, there was a pause in all of the Oxford vaccines trials. My colleague, Tom Whipple, the Times science editor, takes up the tale. A woman suffered a condition called transverse myelitis, which is an immunological condition to do with the spinal cord. And there were worries that the vaccine might have caused that. 
So in all of these trials, if there is an apparent serious side effect, then they will pause the trials to investigate. And that's exactly what happened in this case. In a well-regulated trial process, pauses like this aren't unusual. What you've got to realise is if you're testing this many people, there is an extremely good chance, in fact it's probably more likely than not, that there will be some sort of illness that will befall one of the volunteers that could have been caused by the vaccine and that needs to be investigated. So these pauses are completely normal. And in the UK it was judged that, well, the, the woman got better, but it was judged that it wasn't caused by the vaccine and we resumed the trials. When it was announced that AstraZeneca had resumed trials of the vaccine in September, Kirill Dmitriev, the head of the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which is funding the Sputnik V vaccine, said the suspension of trials showed the fallacy of the approach and criticised Oxford's use of a monkey adenovirus vector. He also wrote an article for a number of papers around the world saying the monkey vaccine, as he referred to it, had a fatal flaw. In a round of TV interviews, he reiterated the same message. So Russia focused on human adenovirus has been proven before. Britain focused quite a bit on monkey adenovirus. There has never been a registered vaccine based on monkey adenovirus. No long-term effects have ever been studied. In a TV interview in the Philippines, he went further. Please show us your studies that show that monkey adenovirus vaccine, that is AstraZeneca's British vaccine, and mRNA, which is the US vaccine, mm-hmm. have no long-term effects on increasing risk for cancer and infertility. With no evidence whatsoever, he linked the Oxford vaccine to two of the medical conditions most likely to create fear. And every time he mentions AstraZeneca, he talks about monkeys. The social media campaign we've seen repeats the same theme. In every image, the Oxford vaccine becomes the monkey vaccine instead. So why is that? I mean, the the only people who've been calling it the monkey vaccine are the Russians. Tom Whipple, our science editor, explains. So it was tested on monkeys, and right, that's what you do. It was tested on macaques to see how protective it was against infection. Separately, I'm sure that the Russian focus group polling has determined that monkey vaccine is a better way to slander this, but actually it's, to be completely taxonomically correct, it's chimpanzee vaccine, if they, if they wish to insult it properly. It uses chimpanzee adenovirus, virus that sort of attacks chimpanzees, and it's actually a very, very similar mechanism to the one being used by the Russian vaccine. They use a chimpanzee adenovirus because it's less likely that your immune system will itself mount a defence against the vaccine. We asked the team at Oxford University why they'd chosen to work with a chimpanzee viral vector rather than a human one. The vaccine that we're we're using here, what it is, is a common cold virus. That's Dr Andrew Pollard, the chief investigator on the Oxford vaccine team. That, if it was in its wild form, causes common colds in chimpanzees, it tends not to cause any uh, significant infections in humans. And that's one of the reasons for selecting this particular virus, is because humans haven't seen it. It's the fact that it's new to us that could make it particularly effective. We haven't already got immune responses against this chimpanzee common cold virus. So that means that it actually works very well as a way of transporting the spike protein genes from coronavirus 
into the vaccine and therefore into our bodies to help our bodies make an immune response. If you use human common cold viruses, we've all seen those viruses already, and it means it's, it's much harder to get strong immune responses because our immune system immediately recognises the human common cold viruses and kills them. So how did a scientific process morph into such a wild social media campaign? Let's take a look at the evidence we've got. Part 4. The Social Media Campaign Now normally, at this point, we'd tell you a bit about how we'd source this material. But unfortunately, stories about Russia offer a whole new set of challenges in protecting sources. So there's not much we can tell you except that we've seen a set of images and videos which are being touted around influences on social media. And we've seen evidence which shows how the project is being coordinated in Moscow by officials from the Russian state. More on that later. We've also seen some of these images now appearing on blogs and social media posts in a few countries. But what do the images actually show? And what's the purpose of them? So the use of emotive images is particularly powerful in disinformation campaigns. Dr Jake Wallace is an expert in information warfare at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. They recently produced a report on Russian disinformation around the vaccine, which had emanated from eastern Ukraine. The report caused quite a splash in intelligence circles, so we asked them to take a look at some of our evidence. And here, the images that the Times has identified are similar to the narratives that we've seen emerging from eastern Ukraine in that they're designed to drive fear. They're designed to discredit the competitor vaccines that might penetrate markets that Russia is particularly interested in and invested in targeting at the moment. The images we have show variations on a theme. Monkeys in lab coats clutching injections that say AstraZeneca on them. A queue of people going into a building which says AstraZeneca and coming out as a line of monkeys. There's even one which looks a bit like Boris Johnson would if he was auditioning to be an extra on Planet of the Apes. It shows a yeti in a suit walking down Whitehall clutching an official-looking folder with the words AstraZeneca as if he's about to brief Cabinet about it. The Yeti has a mop of rather expressive blonde hair. Underneath, it reads, I like my Bigfoot vaccine. In others, they've played with famous images to make the point. A vintage poster for King Kong now features the enormous gorilla holding a tiny woman in one paw and brandishing a giant injection. The classic military recruitment poster of Uncle Sam pointing at passers-by with the words... I want you, now has the words for the monkey vaccine emblazoned beneath it. Every image names AstraZeneca or the monkey vaccine. There are some impressively edited videos too, like this one. The news is playing out in a hospital ward. It mentions Oxford and after an injection, patients turn into monkeys and the TV screens show chaos breaking out across the city as monkeys leap down to take over the streets. Another video shows astronauts who were vaccinated before they left Earth 
turning into monkeys mid-mission and attacking each other in space. The campaign isn't just about funny images and extraordinary videos. We've also seen a blog which includes some of the images from the online campaign and in remarkably good English raises doubts about the Oxford vaccine. Similar blogs using exactly the same images and the same captions have now started to appear online in Europe and America on small news websites. It's no coincidence that Russian officials um, are using the same language that we're seeing rippling across Russian state media and that is being circulated across covert online networks. Dr. Jake Wallace again. Uh, These are hallmarks of uh, Russian disinformation campaigns and that temporal and narrative alignment are good indicators that there is uh, coordination across those three layers of um, the Russian disinformation ecosystem, government officials, state media and covert online networks. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Part 5. The Key Players. Government officials, state media, and covert online networks. So who is behind this campaign? The evidence we have refers to the manufacturer of the Russian vaccine as the client who commissioned the campaign in order to discredit competitors. The manufacturers are the Gamalea Research Institute, part of the Russian Health Ministry, with the heavy involvement of the Ministry of Defence. Russia's vaccine programme is also being financed and marketed around the world 
by the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which is run by Kirill Dmitriev, the man who likes to talk about monkeys in interviews. In this case, precisely, we're talking about you know the Gamaleya Labs, for whom this is their real big chance to you know, make it in the big time. Mark Galliotti again. And Kirill Dmitriev's Russian Direct uh, Investment Fund, which is part of the government apparatus, but still has its own interests and its own agendas. Tell us a bit more about that Russian Direct Investment Fund. Does it sort of do the bidding of, of Vladimir Putin normally? Are they part of the inner circle? Well, I mean... The fund is, is a sovereign wealth fund that is run by and for the interests of the Russian state. But it doesn't mean to say that every single action it does is necessarily run past Putin for his OK. This is how Putin works. Putin is not a micromanager. I mean, basically, Dmitriev's job is when the Kremlin says we want money dumped into this cause or this project, then that's what he does. But at the same time, he's basically looking to maximize the value of the $10 billion or so within his fund. I mean, in a way, he is like any fund manager. He just happens to be paid by the Kremlin. Kirill Dmitriev is not mentioned in the evidence we have, and there's no suggestion that he was involved in organising the disinformation campaign. But his speeches provide a template for the messaging that the social media campaign has used. Now, this campaign is unusual, because it can be directly traced back to several arms of the Russian state. Usually, online campaigns can only be attributed to anonymous troll farms, and the Russian government can always deny all knowledge of their activities. Here, the trail leads directly to institutions which are part of the Russian government and Russian state media. But does that mean the Kremlin would be involved? I asked Mark Galliotti. Look, from Putin's point of view, I'm sure he has no problem with the idea of the Oxford vaccine being run down, if he even knows about it. Most things never even cross his desk. It's more that what he does want is to maximise the financial and, more importantly, political value of the Sputnik V vaccine. So whilst this is a plot involving elements of the Russian state, we can't be sure if the trail leads all the way to the Kremlin. I mean, what one has to realise is that Russian state media is, again, sort of semi-autonomous in the sense of ultimately, look, it all works for the Kremlin. But again, it does favours for different powerful interests. In some ways, we should think of the Russian state as much more of as like a, a court of powerful dukes and barons who ultimately are all responsible to the monarch. But they also have their interests and they work together and they compete and sometimes they do favours for each other and sometimes they get involved in vicious feuds. It could be that Putin has has decreed it. But in that case, one would expect that actually we would have more conventional arms of the state like the foreign ministry much more actively involved. This is the kind of thing which could easily just simply be stitched up by a variety of dukes and barons, all who have their own interests at work. Most Russian disinformation campaigns hide behind troll farms, so it's hard to know who to blame. Here, we can even see the cover story they intended to use to give themselves a degree of plausible deniability. The people who are spreading these images online have been told the manufacturer will never sign anything and will deny all knowledge of the campaign too, and, and I quote, discredit their competitors. Instead, They've been told to make it look like young activists in India 
who might have their own reasons to oppose a Western vaccine, are behind the campaign. Well, it's very striking. That's Edward Lucas again. I mean, it has all the hallmarks of Russia getting things right. There's a tiny grain of truth, something which in a dim light might be mistaken for a fact, which is that there is an element of monkey in the vaccine, which allows them to call it the monkey vaccine without it being completely lunacy. There's the plausible deniability that allows them to say, oh, hang on, this is people from, you know, just concerned individuals and who wouldn't be concerned about this sort of strange new science being brought to market in a rush. Of course, it, um, the, the paradox is that it's actually the Russians who are rushing things through. Um, but of course, this attack on the, the Oxford vaccine just takes attention away from any shortcomings in the Russian approach and um, puts the Westerners on the defensive. Part 6. Enter the Russian state media. From the evidence, we know that this isn't just a social media campaign. It's coordinated by senior figures in Russian state TV in Moscow and RT, the state-backed TV channel that broadcasts to the rest of the world. They don't just want to influence people abroad with the images. They want to seed them into social media so that they can run reports on their channel saying, look... It's not just us. The rest of the world has doubts about the Oxford vaccine too. They want to run what they describe as a powerful mass media campaign in Russia and beyond. Mark Galliotti says the Russian vaccine does need a PR boost at home. There is actually a really quite substantial body of opinion that says we don't want to be vaccinated, or at the very least, we don't want to be vaccinated with a Russian vaccine. Although the campaign is targeting a foreign audience too. I, th- I think, you know, this campaign is primarily intended for overseas consumption. The evidence we have specifically says these images need to appear in the West so that we can refer to it in the news in Russia without it looking like their own propaganda. We were told Vesti, one of the main news programmes on Russian state TV, would use the images as proof that the rest of the world now had doubts about the Oxford vaccine. In the last few days, we've seen that starting to happen. This is Vesti on September the 13th. The presenter stands in the studio with two images we instantly recognise towering behind him. On one side, there's the King Kong poster, and on the other, the image of Uncle Sam calling for recruits for the monkey vaccine. It's exactly what the strategy had set out. Dr Jake Wallace says the messaging in Russian news would be more effective if it looked like the same messages were coming from elsewhere, like social media. So this multi-pronged approach is designed to create a greater degree of traction for positive messaging around Russia's vaccine aligned with the discrediting of competitors. We do see a recycling of content that has been seeded across uh, social media networks by Russian state media. So the effect here is to find a way of laundering disinformation through the media environment, back into social media. We know Russian state media see themselves as a weapon in Russia's arsenal. The chief editor of RT, Margarita Simonian, has described RT as being as necessary to Russia as the defence ministry and claims they are capable of conducting information war against the whole Western world. 
The key thing is that the people who run RT have a pretty good sense of what their job is. The message is not, we have an alternative truth, so much as uh, there is no truth, there are no real facts. So the first thing is, obviously, these are anyway people who already understand what they should be doing. In addition, every week, the editors of RT and the other main state agencies sit down, usually with, with Dmitry Peskov, who is Putin's personal uh, press spokesperson, to talk through the coming week. And again, it's not that Peskov dictates headlines, but again, he gives them a sense of the kind of talking points that the Kremlin wants to see them address that particular week. And then beyond that, you know, sometimes there are times when something very specific crops up and someone gets a phone call from someone in the uh, relevant department in the presidential administration saying, shut up about that or start talking about this. But much of the time, what happens is pretty much internally generated. You know, everyone has a sense of, of what kind of messages are out there. And people, program of editors, presenters, pundits, and so forth, are trying to come up with their own spin that they think is going to please ultimately the bosses and the boss of bosses. The evidence we saw went further. It showed that Russian state TV were working on an expose which would claim that two people had died in the Oxford-AstraZeneca trials, but it had been covered up. They'd found old news coverage of deaths in an AstraZeneca trial in Japan in 2002, which they would use as part of their story. The phrase they were keen to push was that people had died, but the monkeys had survived, to convince people that the vaccine only really worked on monkeys. The campaign hasn't been launched yet. Perhaps it went too far for even Russian state TV. Although, Russian fake news campaigns have already lied about deaths in vaccine trials. Dr Jake Wallace has been watching it closely. We've tracked Russian disinformation that emerged around significant strategic announcements that related to Russia's plans to mass-produce its own vaccination. We tracked Russian disinformation that emerged from the news outlets of pro-Russian separatist groups in eastern Ukraine. These outlets asserted that the Moderna vaccine that's uh, being trialled by the US biotech company, these outlets asserted that that vaccine trial had led to the death of a number of Ukrainian volunteers, particularly soldiers who'd volunteered for the trial. Wow. Now, this story was this story was a fabrication. Nevertheless, it was picked up by prominent and well-known English language disinformation websites that often circulate Russian disinformation. And from there, it was able to gain traction in uh, Western social media networks. Part 7. Fact-checking. Here comes the science. With all the fake news flying around, we decided to establish a few facts for ourselves. Has anyone died during the Oxford vaccine trials? AstraZeneca say there were no deaths at all, and these claims are utterly false. Or, as Dr Andrew Pollard from the Oxford team puts it, If we thought that a vaccine had any possibility of causing death um, in a trial of the size that we're talking about, that trial would be stopped immediately by the regulators. Is it less safe to use a chimpanzee adenovirus vector in the vaccine? 
there are many chimpanzee common cold viruses and human viruses which have been tested as vaccines and actually for other types of therapies over the last few decades. So we have a huge amount of understanding and knowledge about their safety and there's no suggestion in any of that that there's an advantage of a chimpanzee or a, a human virus from a safety perspective. What do we know about the Russian vaccine? Here's Tom Whipple again. The Russian vaccine has been tested on 76 people in its phase one trials. That's a phase one slash two trials, as compared to over a thousand in the Oxford phase one slash two trials. Mm, I was going to say, that doesn't sound like much. It's not much. Um, It's fine. Uh, That's phase one, two trials. If you wish to see whether a vaccine is dangerous, you have no choice but to try it on lots of different people. The whole point is you're trying to exclude rare but serious events. There is no way of telling whether there are rare but serious events in the Russia vaccine. And I don't don't want to criticise it overly because the the approach is perfectly reasonable and they have decided to stop their testing at a stage where everyone else hasn't. And you can't, it's, it's like, if you wish to use the sort of utterly asinine sort of metaphor of, you know, this is a global vaccine race that they're winning. Well, they've, they've decided that they've won by stopping the, the marathon after six miles. It's, you know, w- well done, but everyone else is going through, precisely because of your concerns about safety, are going through far more rigorous trials. And one thing I would add is the paper in The Lancet announcing the results of these 76 people, who I should add, the, their sort of end point, their, their definition of success is that they have produced antibodies and um, an immune response against the coronavirus. We don't know if that's a protective immune response. Their paper has been criticised because there are some very suspicious things going on in the data. It appears that... Ooh, what do you mean? Well, it, it appears that several of the participants have exactly the same response. Um, this is one of these things that's just so statistically implausible that you would have a biological response that's precisely the same, that it doesn't mean that there's not a good explanation for it, but it is at least a flag, a red flag that needs to be dealt with. They'll say that it's all completely above board. But even if it is, even if the results are completely above board, this is their decision, but they have definitely stopped the trial earlier than anyone in a Western pharmaceutical company would be happy with. And indeed, we have precedent for this. We have vaccines that have been used in the past that when they were rolled out at a population level in a very small proportion of people caused very serious illness. And this is why we do these tests. For Dr Andrew Pollard, the dangers of disinformation are clear. The end of this pandemic may well rely on having access to vaccines around the world. So undermining confidence in vaccines could mean that we continue with these physical distancing measures, lockdowns, and the economic and health disruption of that for longer than we need to if we um, undermine public confidence in vaccines. And can I just ask, I mean, were you surprised when you saw these images? I, I, I think I'm uh, beyond the point of being surprised um, about anything that might happen um, in these um, clinical trials. And, you know, we've had a number of, um, of events over the, the course of the time since we started in April where uh, there has been some misinformation that has appeared. So, yes, I guess not um, terribly surprised in some ways, but then in other ways very concerned because of the potential impact this might have 
um, not specifically for our vaccine, but in general in confidence in vaccines. And vaccines are so important for human health and particularly for child health. I'm, I'm a paediatrician, so that's my concern about, about all of this. In June, the Foreign Secretary condemned Russian intelligence services for launching cyber attacks on the vaccine programme. The threat of disinformation has loomed over the programme too. Well, I, I don't think it really changes our resolve, which is to rigorously test the vaccines. We have a really important job to do to fully assess whether or not these vaccines have the necessary safety characteristics and uh, the potential to prevent infection. And that means that they could be deployed potentially to billions of people on the planet. And that responsibility overrides um, any distraction from a misinformation campaign. This campaign could have the most serious consequences if it succeeded. As a Whitehall source told us, This is reckless and contemptible behaviour that could lead to real damage to people's health. This sort of lie fundamentally harms all of us around the world, and we need to be alert to identify and counter this kind of activity to support the provision of factual information for all people about COVID-19 and vaccines. It does seem like a reckless strategy, but would Russia see the vaccine as fair game? Here's Mark Galliotti. I mean, I think there is a degree to which everything is fair game, but it doesn't mean to say that you don't stop and think about the cost-benefit analysis. Not the cost in the sense of people's health. Um, I think it has to be said that certainly the Kremlin is a fairly ruthless institution, but rather the risk of some kind of backlash if it becomes known. This is why it's not necessarily something that has been sort of carefully planned. I, you know, for example, I, I would have imagined, for example, that the foreign ministry would be a lot more hesitant about this kind of approach. It says something, though, about the essentially wartime mentality that we're seeing in today's Russia. You've got to realize that you know, Putin's Russia, or at least the sort of people around Putin, regard themselves as being at political war with the West. We're seeing more and more often the Russians willing to gamble as long as Putin is in the Kremlin, this is the kind of Russia with which we're dealing. If this is the new normal, how do we deal with disinformation? Does it help to have it exposed? I asked Edward Lucas. Well, it's very good that you've uncovered this, um, but it's one of the paradoxes that when you confront people who believe disinformation with the fact that this comes from a highly politicised, you know, axe-grinding source like Yevgeny Prigozhin's um, Internet Research Agency, as it's called in St. Petersburg, they just don't believe it. And you know, in America, we saw this IRA, as it's called, promoting both Blue Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter at the same time, organising Americans to actually turn up, demonstrate against each other. And when these Americans, um, researchers then confronted them, the Americans on both sides with this propaganda said, you are actually following Kremlin propaganda. The Americans didn't want to believe that. They'd say, well, you know, anyway, I, I, I still think this is the right thing to do. And so it's the way our cognitive processes work is that once you find something that aligns with what you think anyway, you will then justify any mental contortions that would be needed to believe it. We asked state media and the manufacturers of the vaccine in Moscow for a response, but received no reply. We did hear from the Russian embassy in London, though, and we're giving them the last word. 
Dear Miss Manveen, the suggestion that the Russian state may conduct any kind of propaganda against the AstraZeneca vaccine is itself an example of disinformation. It is obviously aimed at discrediting Russia's efforts in combating the pandemic, including the good cooperation we have established with the UK in this field. The COVID pandemic is a common threat, and both the Russian and the British governments are committed to combating it in a depoliticized manner. We hope that the Times shares this ambition. Kind regards, press office, Russian embassy in London. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Edward Lucas, who's a columnist for The Times, his fellow Russia expert, Mark Galliotti, Dr Jake Wallace from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, and Dr Andrew Pollard, the chief investigator on the Oxford vaccine team, and our own science editor, Tom Whipple. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. And if you get a chance, please do leave us a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and now we're also available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. Have a good weekend. This podcast was brought to you thanks to the support of readers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.